keeping you up to date on information. The Ontario government recently announced that come tomorrow, January 1st, pharmacies across the province will be able to prescribe medication for 13 ailments without the need of you to visit your doctor, Dr. Nadia Alam, family doctor, past president of the Ontario Medical Association and regular contributor here on Toronto This Weekend joins me now. Happy New Year's Eve, Dr. Nadia. Happy New Year's Eve, Maggie. So tell us about these ailments that pharmacists will be able to prescribe medication for. What are they? So there's a list of 13 that range from minor illnesses that can be significant for some patients like hay fever or allergic um, uh, allergies all the way up to sprains, strains, certain kinds of infections. They are a lot. Many of us have looked at these ailments and some of us are like, again, a lot of us have mixed feelings. We need healthcare providers working to their full scope. I have an extraordinary pharmacist that I get have the privilege to work with who advises me on medications with whom I work together for complex patients and all of that. The problem is if patients go to a pharmacy that's not their own, where the pharmacist does not have their history, does not have a list of their medications, has no relationship with their family doctor or their nurse practitioner who does their primary care, um, and then they try and get treated for something that could look like a minor ailment, but may actually be something more um, complex, or maybe even more serious in some instances. That's a really so, good point, Dr. Nadia, because we have we are yet to have a system where our information travels with us everywhere, right? So again, if a pharmacist is unaware of all of the different ailments and things that you have in your history, Mm-hmm. Um, you could end up in uh, a situation that you don't want to be in. And I'm one of the few family doctors in town who's accepting new patients, particularly older, complex patients. And Maggie, you wouldn't believe how many times people come in and I ask them, what medications are you on? And they'll turn to me and say, the blue one yeah. or the blue and white one, the round peach one. And I'll be baffled because there can be a number of medications that can look like that. And it's not that the patient's wrong in remembering that way, that the patients are experts in themselves. They're not experts in medicine or in their medication. So, of course, they're going to forget. They're not going to have the names ready. They're coming in for their first visit. They might have forgotten in all the kerfuffle their medication list. Yeah. Right? So, it's, it's not fair to use patients as messenger birds. Yeah. Yeah. So, how do we fix this problem? Because, obviously, come tomorrow... This is mm-hmm. this is going to happen. Um, should we all have a list of all of our medications as we go to different pharmacies? What should we do? So one, it's important to realize not every pharmacy is going to be ready to do this. Not mm. every pharmacist is going to be interested in doing this. Mm. Um, so it, you can't just pop into any shoppers or any neighborhood pharmacy and expect that this is ready to roll out on January 1st. I think, um, and we've seen that in some other provinces. In Alberta, there's a pretty long tradition of pharmacists prescribing medications. In Manitoba, where this was rolled out, very few pharmacists partake in this, in this opportunity. Hmm. And that's partly because there's a level of 
comfort with, again, that information exchange that's needed, and then making sure that you understand what it means to be a most responsible provider, right? If a pharmacist sees a patient, diagnoses them, examines them, right, gets their proper history, all of the detail that I would expect to get from my family doctor, if a pharmacist does that, and something happens, they're the ones whom patients should go back to to get ongoing management. Mm. They shouldn't be bouncing around from a pharmacist to a pharmacist to a family doctor to a nurse practitioner to a pharmacist. That's not good medicine for the patient. Yeah, that means a lot. <laughs> that means a lot of uh, a lot of ownership is is back on the patient to make sure that they are being responsible with. Yeah, and, and keeping tabs on who did I go to for this prescription mm-hmm. and who did I go to for that. And, and just to give the list, so there's hay fever, oral thrush, pink eye, dermatitis, menstrual cramps, um, acid reflux, uh, hemorrhoids, cold sores, uh, impet- impetigo, I think it's? Impetigo, yeah. Impetigo. That's, that's uh, okay, insect bites, tick bites, sprains and strains, and uh, urinary tract infections. So again, that is the list of uh, ailments, illnesses that pharmacists will be able to prescribe medication for. So Okay. So as you said, Dr. Nye, I think that's a good point. Not all pharmacists will be ready to do this come tomorrow. Um, But is it just good practice for us to just even have a list, you know, taking into consideration what you said, some of your your Mm -hmm. concerns that are warranted. Should we have a list of when we were prescribed, you know, certain medications, what they are, you know, I've started actually doing that because I've been seeing a lot of doctors and they keep asking me the same questions. I'll mm-hmm. be honest with you. My answer is always, I don't know. So yeah. I started kind of keeping a list in my phone. Is that just best practice? It is. It is. It's, it's important for patients to, like you said, own their health information. And we've got a lot of ways of doing that now. A lot of smartphones have apps that let you keep track of your imaging results. It lets you keep track. You can access your blood work results online. You can keep a list of your medications and your allergies. And it's important to do that because say something happens, God forbid, something serious happens, you're unconscious. Even if you're in the emergency department, that's still vital information they need to know. So regardless of whether you're going to see a family doctor or a family doctor, oh, sorry, a, ph- a family doctor, nurse practitioner, um, pharmacist, or whether you're going to the emerge, having this information on hand makes it easier to take care of a patient. Mm. It really does, especially if you can just hand it to the physician and or the clinician in this instance, and they have that information there to work through. And I mean, I don't know about you, Maggie, sometimes when, like I recently went through this with my daughter, she got blurry vision all of a sudden, we were all quite worried. And it took a while to get her in to see her specialist. And during that time, I'm trying to keep track of of when symptoms occurred and all of that. And honestly, in the busyness of working, in the busyness of being a mom to four kids, I started losing track if I didn't write it down. And so when the specialist was, and they need very detailed information. When did this happen? What was she doing when this happened? What were the circumstances around it? Was she sick? Was she well? Was this and that? And I was like, shit, I don't, sorry. I I don't know. I have no idea. I I think she was like this, especially when it's a bunch of different episodes of the same thing. 
I was like, I think she was fine this time, but she was sick this time. And then this happened and then that happened. And then after a while, I was like, I don't know. I'm rambling. This is a terrible history. I am so sorry. And I should know better. (laughs) Oh, Dr. Maddie, I I have two kids and I can't keep track. I can't, I mix up their names all the time. I don't even know how you keep track of four (laughs) and also be a doctor. Um, But we really quickly before we go to break and we'll return, but obviously the government is doing this because they feel like they need to take a load off of family doctor's plates like yours. So I I think the intent is good, but you're bringing up some really valid concerns. So will this take some of the pressure off of family doctors, you think? I don't think so. I think what would have helped more is having an integrated electronic system so that information passed easily within the circle of care, within the practitioners that patients see. What would also have helped is if pharmacists could extend prescriptions for chronic illnesses um, or even like birth control pills, just because a patient couldn't get in to see their family doctor or nurse practitioner on time. Like that, that would actually have been really useful for many of my patients who often, I mean, again, in the busyness of work, in the busyness of taking care of kids or elderly parents, they forget to call in for a refill. Yeah. yeah right. No. And they forget to make an appointment to follow up. And, and they're like, if you just give me another month or two, I'll come in for my blood pressure check. But in the meantime, can I please continue my medications, which is, of course, of course you should. Yeah. And we've all been in the refill cycle of hell Mm -hmm. so many times. We all know that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to return with more with Dr. Nadia Alam. You're listening to Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto. Well, we're back with Dr. Nadia Alam. She is family doctor and past president of the Ontario Medical Association. Uh, So, Dr. Nadia, are you into New Year's resolutions? I am. Are you? I am. I think it's a, I love New Year's Eve because at midnight, yes. once I've wished a happy new year to everybody, I go to the door, I open the door and I welcome the new year into my home because oh. it's a chance of renewal, right? It's a, it's a chance to start again and try again. So there's, there's a lot of symbolism that I like about it and and so I'm all for New Year's resolution. I love that Way I- to turn the page. I love that idea of opening the door and welcoming the New Year in. That's beautiful. Wow. I love that. Um, I'm horrible at resolutions. We've already <laughs> talked about that <laughs> during the show. But for many people, resolutions are around weight, right? And weight loss. And so, you know, many people are looking at maybe shedding a few pounds. Hey, I'm wearing my stretchy pants today. So um, I, <laughs> I will say maybe that's my half resolution for this year. Now, there is a new drug on the market that is meant for those with type 2 diabetes, that is rumored to be used by celebrities to lose weight? Yes. So there are a couple of drugs on the market. And I I mean, just to take a step back, I welcome New Year's resolutions. I'm not always that great at following them through either. But (laughs) it's a way to try and start the year off on the right foot. And in terms of weight loss, regardless of the number of scale, Fitness is what's important, right? We know that obesity is a problem and has many, many health risks associated with it um, from everything from uh, diabetes to arthritis to sleep apnea to even dementia, right? Obesity is a big problem and I'm glad people want to manage it, but it's not just about the number on the scale. It has to include everything else. Fitness has to include sleep and meditation and stress relief and a good diet and exercise. Even if it's walking, walking can be an amazing exercise. Anyway, weight loss. 
Weight loss is a big problem for a lot of people. Obesity isn't just about not moving enough, not eating, eating too much. It's just not, it's not as simple as that. Weight lo- uh, obesity has a lot to do with the hormones in your body and how they've shifted in times of uh, weight loss or weight gain. And so it's, it's much more complex. We've got some diabetes drugs that address some of those hormones. Hormones that impact whether or not you feel hungry, whether or not you feel full, when you feel hungry, how hungry you feel, all of that. And so there are mixed messages out there (laughs) when, you know, you look at social media and you see, you know, a a lot of talk. I think it's about time about Mm -hmm. just being uh, open to uh, body positivity and uh, body image, you know, changing that narrative as much as we can. And then hearing of, you know, drugs like Ozempic that mm-hmm. is rumored to be used by some of the Kardashians and potentially other celebrities uh, in the incorrect way of, you know, yeah. just wanting to shed a couple of pounds. Now that sends a mixed message to the world out there that, you know, everybody should love their body as it is and uh, be welcome to all shapes and sizes. Yes, so much so, right? Like you're, you're absolutely right. I remember when I grew up, you see these magazines and it was splashed all over magazine covers on how to get that six pack, how to get yep. bikini ready, all of that, right? Those are common phrases from when we were growing up. And in spite of the body positivity, a lot of magazines still highlight that for men and women, but mm-hmm. particularly for women. So it can be very difficult for people to have a good self image and, and managing weight, right? Cause this isn't about weight loss. It's weight management don't do what the celebrities do. Yeah. <laughs> I would just say that to all patients. Yeah. Don't do what the celebrities do. Take a more reasonable approach to to managing your weight and managing your health in general. Ozempic, it's one of the medications that can be used for weight loss. There are a bunch on the market. They're all incredibly expensive. Um, so they're out of reach for a lot of people who don't have private health plans to help them cover medications. They have side effects. And often, once you start on them and you lose weight, and you do lose some weight, mm. um, you gain that back when you stop it. Yeah. You really do. So it's it's a lifelong commitment to those medications, to the cost of, medica- of those medications, to the interactions they can possibly have or the side effects they can possibly have. That level of commitment should first be translated to making sure you get enough sleep at night, following the Mediterranean diet that has a crap load of evidence behind it to make you healthier and not just help you lose weight, to managing your stress. Mm -hmm. High stress levels will make you gain weight and make you unhealthier. All of that, right? Building relationships, getting out and walking every single day. It's cheap. It's easy. In the winter, if you're afraid of ice like I am, (laughs) go to the mall and walk. Or even, you know, like, do you remember Leslie Sansone growing up? No, who's that? So she was one of those home fitness personalities. Oh, okay, okay. was walk at home. Yeah. Famous phrase would always be, you know, when you start walking, she'd be like, walk, 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 walk. And I loved it. Every time I heard it, I'd be like, oh, this is great. And so I show it to my patients who are like, this is very achievable. I can walk in my living room. Yeah. I can do this. She's kind of funny and fun and I can do this. 
It's really, and you know what, a, a big part of this, and you've said it as well, is diet, right? A big yeah. part of being healthy is uh, is eating properly. Okay, well, let's talk about virtual healthcare. We have a couple minutes le- left. Um, as we all know, our healthcare system is at a crucial stage. Emergency rooms are, have been forced to close over the holidays. Uh, we have overworked hospital staff. We've talked about it all. Uh, and a lot of provinces are turning to virtual care. Um, yet our Ontario, the Ontario Health Minister has said the worst of the pandemic is over and the need for virtual care is not as urgent and regulations around virtual health visits have changed. I actually experienced this the other day. I had an appointment and it was supposed to be virtual. And at the last minute, they had to change it because all of these rules and, and the doctor didn't even know what to do. Um, so tell us about, and you know, she was like, I'll figure it out after and what the billing is and all of that stuff. So tell us about these changes and are they fair for, you know, again, a crippled healthcare system right now? So I think, again, this is about mixed messages, right? During the pandemic, that was a special occasion when we were asked to isolate, stay at home, stay away from sick people. And guess what? Doctors see sick people all the time. That is the nature of the business. And during cold and flu season and during the pandemic, there were a lot of sick people in the waiting room. No matter how much we managed, you know, who was coming in, who was going out, there were a lot of sick people and high risk of exposure. So for that reason, virtual care just exploded Mm -hmm. across different kinds of medical practices. The approach we're taking now to try and temper that, right, make it more appropriate is actually something I agree with. The billing changes are one way of tempering virtual care for all and any condition mentality that some people have, doctors and patients alike, Mm -hmm. right? And nurse practitioners as well. I shouldn't forget to mention nurse Mm -hmm. practitioners who are a vital part of the team. Um, So that has to change and that billing is one way, changing billing codes and how people are paid for providing that virtual care is one way. Education is another, right? And a really big piece of it, because a lot of patients are going to be like you and they'll be like, I don't get what's happening. I thought this was going to be a virtual point. Now I have to go in. That means taking time off of work, making sure I have a ride, making sure I've got babysitting, all of that, which is a big burden on on a patient. The problem is I've had so many patients send me pictures of their rashes, pictures of their tonsils. Um, They'll send me pictures of their hair, pictures of their twisted ankle. I cannot do anything with that. (laughs) That is not good medicine to try and treat that over virtual care. It, It has to be in person. And I think this move towards trying to be more appropriate about how you, you provide care virtually, you know, whether it's video, phone, or any of the other um, ways that patients can contact a, their provider without having to go in, any of those, all of that is virtual care. Sometimes it's appropriate. Oftentimes, it's still better to see your practitioner, whether it's a nurse practitioner, whether it's a family doctor, it's important to see them because there could be other stuff that you're totally missing that the physician or the nurse practitioner would think is actually really vital to your diagnosis. Yeah. And unfortunately, we've got a lot of these companies like Maple and, and Talus and, and all of these organizations, these big corporations really selling and pushing virtual care direct to consumer that doesn't take into account the appropriateness of it. 
Uh, we're gonna have to circle back to this topic because yeah. I, we we literally we're out of time. But I okay. think there, much like the the conversation around the pharmacist, I wonder if there is a hybrid, and if it's you know there maybe ailments that that don't need invasive kind mm -hmm. of you know um, uh, visits that maybe could be more adapt to uh, virtual care as opposed to yeah twisted ankle you need to go into your doctor's mm -hmm. office and, and visit your doctor. Okay, we're gonna circle back to that maybe <laughs> next week. Thank you so much, Dr. Nadia, for your time today. Maggie, it was great talking to you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. That was Dr. Nadia Allen, family doctor and past president of the Ontario Medical Association. You're listening to Toronto This Weekend on 640 Toronto.